episode 49, creator of Stunning, a Stripe add-on about tech success and audience reach. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we hear Richard Felix's perspective. Join 2017 Podcast Awards-nominated host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, as he gets a rarely seen look into the specialties of all types of doctors and guests, plus marketing, travel tips, struggles, goals, and relationship advice. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. Thanks for tuning in yet again. I want to tell you what's going down. We have two more special guests on our African-American Spotlight this week, of course, with our tech superstar. And then episode 51, we will have two doctors of physical therapy. Now, what's episode 50, you might ask? Well, it's episode 50. So I recorded it a while back while I was actually um, in China, right before I had left to America for about a few weeks. It's 50. Get excited. I'm excited. So this week is episode 49. Next week will be our big old 5-0. Got some special things in store for you. And thank you for listening. But today's guest, Richard Felix, is a tech guy. He's created several uh, web apps. Some have made it. Some did not. But they're all learning experiences. So we dive into that. What did he learn? What is he doing now with Stunning? And we go into a deep dive into Stripe, which if any of you have online processing, are you Shopify, you know, things like that, definitely you want to tune in. And um, we just get to experience a little bit of his personality and some of the uh, funner things on the end of the interview as usual. So the travel tip will be at the end of the episode. All the show notes can be found at a doctorsperspective.net slash four nine. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Live from dual sickville, United States of America. I want to welcome you back to a doctor's perspective podcast. Yes. Me and the guest today, our special guests, are both having a little laryngitis. What can we say? But he is an amazing computer guy, web designer, from humble beginnings to a successful empire now. Welcome, Richard Felix of ShiftedFrequency.net. Hey, Justin. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Hey, buddy. You bet. So there's no, there's no denying it. We may come off a little more casual. We've been friends for... Whew, college. So yep. it's been fun to follow each other's career. And um, and then you finally accepted to be on the podcast. So I'm excited. Tickle me pink. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited too. Fantastic. Well, let's jump in. You're from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You went to a smart school. They call them magnet schools down here. Yeah. And I think from what, junior high or high school, you started fixing computers and designing websites? Yeah, I, I started fixing computers, uh, I'd say in high school sometime. I read a lot of books, and I, when I was growing up, I um, I liked to take things apart, and I couldn't really put them back together. Uh, my dad started to notice, and so he'd get me stuff that I could take apart uh, that was safe. Um, but he always, you know, my parents always kind of nurtured that in me. And then um, I started reading these computer books that were like, here are all the things that go into computers, and here's how everything works. Based on that, I was able to start building computers for my family and myself. Um, I don't think we ever bought a computer from the time that I um, was in middle school till college. I, I built all the computers. Um, so it was, that was always cool. Um, and then at some point, my parents realized that um, people were starting to ask me. Like They started to notice that I was good with computers, and they had businesses. And they were like, hey, can you come and help us with our computer stuff? And my dad didn't want me to get taken advantage of, so my parents told me I should turn it into a business so I would actually get money for the value that I was providing to those customers. Yep. That's forward thinking. 
And when you say put together computers, this was back when people were like uh, an adapter and like a, a there weren't routers then. It was just there are all these little pieces. So you just bought the pieces and the components and mixed and matched them together for what somebody right. Needed. It was like advanced Legos, I think. I, I did really like Legos growing up. And um, when you want to build a PC, basically you have um, motherboard that everything plugs into. There's a processor that actually does the computations. There's memory, um, RAM, so that the computer can hold things while it's on. And then there's hard drives. And you kind of plug all that stuff together and configure it in the best way. And you make it all work. Boom. And that's why we want i7s or higher for like computers versus uh, like gaming computers versus somebody that just surfs the right. internet and plays on work. Um, for, for certain tasks, you want like a better video card or... Uh, better CPU, more memory, things like that. And so for every computer type out there, or for every type of person who wants to use a computer, uh, there's a particular computer that's best for their needs. And you told me with all the programming that you do, you just love Chromebook, right? Like oh, no. that's your go-to? I, I still use Macs. <laughs> Never, <laughs> I don't think I've ever used a Chromebook. A Chromebook. <laughs> I don't think I'd get work done in a Chromebook, honestly. Very cool. Now you went to... Uh, Louisiana State University, LSU, you started learning more programs. But by, before you even began LSU, how many languages could you speak or could you um, type? I'd say 30 maybe. I, I learned 30 different programming languages. Um, but as you get further and further along in programming, you uh, you start to kind of converge on a couple that you feel are best for your style and the things you're trying to you're trying to do. So I'm not deep in a lot of them. Um, but at this point, uh, I, I probably could program mm-hmm. in about 60 of them, um, given that a lot of programming languages are the same. So once you learn the fundamentals, you can kind of uh, move around and see what syntax um, you like the best, basically. Okay. So if something breaks, you can be like, oh, that's why. Let me go look up that one piece of code for this language. Right. I was using a different language. Um, since you're... Since at the base level, you're, they're all telling the computer the same thing. Uh, that there, there are a lot of similarities uh, in mm-hmm. the way that they function. So if you kind of just if you know programming well enough, you can basically look at any programming language and figure it out if you have to. Okay. Now, just for just for fun, do you have a top three that you use currently, or that you would recommend for all kids? I guess let's set it up this way. You know a bunch. You know what you're using now. If someone was young or looking to do this in college or whatever, what are your top three or four languages that you would have them learn? Um, right now, the, the one that I'm using the most is a programming language called Ruby, and specifically on top of a framework called Ruby on Rails. Basically, Ruby on Rails is a framework that, you, that lets you easily build web applications, which is a lot of what I do these days. Um, so I'd recommend that one. It's, it's pretty easy to pick up. It can get pretty advanced, but you can write a... Ruby um, on your computer without much more than like a text program and that Ruby installed on your computer. There's a new language that's come out recently called Swift. Um, it's mostly used by Apple for iPhone applications and things like that. They um, they have something for, on the iPad called Swift Playgrounds where you can actually download a free app and start to play with the programmer language on your iPad and like see things happening on the screen. You can move stuff around, uh, test code without actually committing to installing a bunch of stuff on your computer, which I think makes it really accessible for somebody just trying to learn what programming is. They give you 
some tutorials in there that have code that's already uh, made, so you can just change stuff around and see how it changes the flow of the program or what breaks. I think that's pretty cool. Mm. It kind of reminds me of when I was first starting out uh, on the Apple II. Computers have gotten a lot more advanced now. Um, you start a computer up and it loads a bunch of programs, and then you have to um, open up a text editor and a bunch of other stuff just to get started in programming. And sometimes you have to install stuff on your computer so that it, it can interpret the language that you want to program in. But back in the day, you could just start mm. up a computer, and if you didn't have a disk in the drive, it would just be like, hey, type in some commands. And so I feel like the with Swift Playgrounds on the iPad, it's kind of going back to that thing. You just open this program, and you can start typing commands and uh, see what works and what doesn't. See, I think that would be fun because then right. you can easily see trial and error. Like, oh, that broke it. And then you can see when you fix it. Okay, that's what it's supposed exactly. to do. You can learn exactly. a lot that way. It's a Real really quick, short feedback loop. Um, you see what works and what doesn't immediately, and you can improve. Uh, that's that's how humans do anything successfully, really. You need that feedback loop. Let's go to this. Give us a um, – you have a great website now, web application, as you called it. What's the difference between like a website and a web application? The lines are kind of blurring more and more these days. But in general, a website is something that – where all the code is written beforehand, and it just displays a page um, based on whatever you've – previously written a web application is something that's more interactive and uh in general it's connected to a database so it can perform all sorts of uh functions based on code that's more dynamic for instance a normal website could be a a website for a business where you put information about the business how to contact them uh maybe it's a restaurant you put up a link to the menu and that doesn't change unless somebody goes in and writes more code or updates that code that website's just going to be what they call static. With web applications, okay. you could have something where a customer comes in and you put them in a database, and then the next time they come to the website, it can say, hey, person name, because they pulled it out of the database. It, it allows things to be more interactive in that way. Is WordPress or lead pages, those types of things, yeah. those are like web applications? Yeah. Those, those are definitely buffer. web applications. Uh, WordPress has a database. Uh, where it keeps all the posts and the images and all that stuff, and uh, same with lead pages. Okay, you can. I'm gonna let you run with this. So okay. I might interrupt you here and there, but I'd like for you to talk about. I know you've had oh, a yeah. music review site. <laughs> you've had some food sites. Oh man, and I and then you've had some that were they just they just failed. Either they didn't catch on, or like some other comp- competitor was out there doing it bigger and better, and they got bought out. And all of a sudden, you're like, all right, well. I'm not, this isn't going to work for me. And then you pivoted and you pivoted until you've got to where you are now with a site that's actually profitable. And, and what I think most people would dream of doing when they said, I'm going to be a computer program, I'm going to program for a living. Um, walk us through what you've kind of done in the past and maybe how did that build to where okay. you are now? Um, specifically that music review site that actually started whenever I did not know uh, web applications very well and I could just make s- static websites um, it was called Interchange it started out as a CD swap idea that was way back when mix CDs were a thing <laughs> I remember I remember in college walking to yeah. the, uh, class with a CD player <laughs> so yeah that was really big and uh, I thought that it would be cool to uh, mix and match people across the United States and uh, have them share music with each other because a lot of 
what was happening because we didn't have really good file share or anything like that or all these music streaming sites. It was more difficult to be exposed to new music um, that you didn't know. So basically, yeah. This was right before I, I Napster. I think Napster happened in high school, but it hadn't really taken off. I do remember downloading MP3s in, in high school, but it was yeah. I don't even think it was real music. It was just like people being ridiculous. I would let people sign up on the website and uh, I just had a list of people's addresses. I guess we were all less uh, concerned about privacy back in those days. <laughs> it was just this guy in a dorm room with a bunch of people's addresses. Uh-huh. But they would mail CDs to me. And then, actually, no, that's not how it works. Um, I would send them each other's addresses, and then they would send uh, CDs to each other. And I would make sure that people stayed honest and didn't like not do what they're supposed to do. If, if somebody wasn't making a CD and sending it off to people, then they would get kicked out. And it, it was pretty cool for a while. It kind of fizzled out when, whenever MP3 started getting big. So I kind of shut it down because it, sometimes you have an idea and it's really good for the time period. And then it just kind of goes away because things change. And that, that's what kind of happened there. Yeah. Um, I say the first, real web application I built was called hungry, uh, hungry.com without the U. I decided I wanted to learn Ruby on rails at the time. And I had a problem that I wanted to solve, which was my girlfriend at the time. And I could never figure out where we wanted to eat. Uh, everybody's had that conversation. And I figured that if I've got restaurants on board, um, I could, have a website where you could just ask it, Hey, uh, based on how I'm feeling or what the type of food I want to eat and what I've eaten in the past, tell me what to eat. And it could also be a, a place for people to have their menus so that instead of rummaging through the drawer to find all those menus you have from websites and, uh, from restaurants and, and everything, you, uh, you could just look in this one place and you'd know that once it told you where to eat, you could just figure out what you wanted to eat. It even had a list of favorites, so um, you could just pick from one of those, and then it would help you out with that. So I did. I learned Ruby on Rails. I worked through the Ruby on Rails programming book while I was building Hungry, and it was, uh, I guess, a moderate success uh, from the the get go because I yeah. got it got some early interest. Um, within the first year, I got flown up to New York to a company that was called Campus Food at the time. They had a delivery company where they had partnerships with local restaurants and college students would uh, not want to go out to get food and they would order food from this database of restaurants with menus that they had online. So they flew me out. It sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, right. Uh, They got bought a few times. I forget what they're called now, but uh, they're still around in some form. I feel like maybe they're part of, um, oh, I want to say StubHub, but that's that's not the one. StubHub is where you get tickets. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in a, I got flown out for a day uh, to meet with the CEO and the co-founders of the company. It was, it was kind of surreal. It was this, I built this thing in my bedroom and all of a sudden I was at this conference room table with these uh, real business people, I, I guess. And they were asking me questions about how it worked and, and how I was doing and everything. And they didn't offer to buy the app so much as offer me a job working for them which I I thought would have mm. been really cool because uh, they were in New York and I, New York was hopping and it seemed like a, a cool place to learn more things and to really grow. But I ended up turning it down because they their one stipulation was that I 
would write all of my future code and actually convert Hungry over to working in a Microsoft language, ASP, which I did not want to do at all because mm. I thought that ASP was garbage. And I still do, actually. ASP has gotten better over the years. Like they got to when I got out of programming ASP, they had moved to ASP.net, which was a lot better. But old ASP, I, I just thought it would. It would have made my job not fun. Even though I was working on something I liked, I wouldn't have fun actually writing the code. So why do it? Yep. And they would have owned it all. So too. I guess at that point, I, mm-hmm. I thought that it was a better idea to uh, keep doing it on my own. And they, being good business people, they, um, they agreed with that. And we actually ended up working together uh, on some things anyway, because they had an ac- uh, access to a database that they were building of, uh, I think they had 500,000 restaurants across the U.S. at that time. And well, they allowed me access to their API so that I could pull in restaurants uh, into Hungary as they added them. So we had a cool partnership there anyway. You already had like menus. If you s- wanted Mexican food and you ate at 15 different Mexican restaurants, you could automatically see which exactly. ones have menus and yeah. kind of start uh, you getting it. You had them yourself. Ah. Um, you could just have access to this database. And that's the power of a web application versus uh, a website, basically. Because we had all the menu information in, in their database. Very cool. Mm. Is that still active? Uh, Hungary is definitely not active anymore. It kept uh, kind of morphing. Okay. Uh, at one point, it turned to an iPhone app because iPhone apps were really hot. And I thought that I could get a lot of people using it in that manner because with, with iPhones, uh, they had access to location. So I could say, here are the restaurants that you like that are closest to you. And it allowed me to do things like, uh, whenever you decided on the restaurant that you wanted to eat, it could pull up a page where it would have all the notes that you have when you call this restaurant and you could just tap on a, a link and it would make the call for you. And so you could refer to the, list on your phone as you're on the call, but it sort of dwindled, uh, after big companies like urban spoon and, uh, Yelp started getting a lot of traction because they were focused more on the restaurant yeah. review side of things. So they got a lot of traffic due to people just wanting to know how good restaurants were before they even made the decision, whether they wanted to go there or not. Uh, that's something I didn't foresee coming. So, uh, Hungary still, <laughs> it actually still exists. Um, but it's just an app that my wife and I use, <laughs> which is kind of funny because it went, it was, That's she funny. was my girlfriend at the time. And we built it to solve that problem and it went to where it went and then it's back doing the same thing, but just for us. So when you see something like this, where I don't want to say you missed the boat, but we don't always see what's going on. Do you think if you would have put reviews, your site could have competed against Urban Spoon or do you have any, any feelings or lessons learned from that experience? Like, um, I don't think that if I added reviews, I would have been able to compete, um, mostly because they had a lot more money and people to throw at it. And, but I also feel like, um, adding review, reviews wouldn't have helped because due to the nature of the websites, basically theirs was geared to work in one way and mine would have been, mine was geared to work in another way. And adding reviews wouldn't have really solved the core problem, which is that mine was made to help you with restaurants you already knew and they, we're more of a search engine for mm-hmm. uh, websites that anybody on the internet really would would uh, might come across because you just search for a restaurant on the internet and hey here's this page that tells you stuff about it. Um, Hungary was never really doing that sort of thing. And we explicitly are going to be like, all right, this has a thousand reviews. It's ranked number three in uh, 
in Greek food is right. probably going to be good to eat. <laughs> exactly. Let's just go there. Yep. Right. So what else? On my website, you can actually see, if you go to richardfelix.com, you can actually see a list of things that I've worked on. And it'll tell you uh, which companies murdered <laughs> with the app in question. Because um, I feel like that's that's kind of a, a funny story. Yeah. It's a funny part of the story. Um, all along that time, I was still working a full-time job writing code. So none of this stuff was really... I, I thought that it'd be cool to work for myself full-time one day. But I was really just kind of scratching an itch. And I knew that with programming, I could actually solve some of these problems. I was never really good at marketing um, those things, though. I, I always built the the app or the product, and then I hoped that customers would find it somehow, magically, and um, that that was part of my big problem. Yeah, I would I would be able to get like an initial big splash uh, with saying, "Hey, this new thing came out," and everybody would check it out, and then uh, things would kind of taper off after a while. Um, so, I guess scratching another richer that I had, I I had a a side, part-time side business making websites for people. And um, I had some friends who I knew were good developers uh, of like the front end type things. Uh, let me back up a little bit. So when you're, so when you're making a website, yeah. there's uh, kind of a front end developer and they are the person that makes, basically makes the stuff that people who go to that website see. So uh, they, yeah, the images, the, the usability, all that stuff. And there, then there's the, the people who do the who are better at the back end stuff, and that's basically talking to the server, making sure the database is running right, and that sort of stuff. The code that you never really see, but if it's broken, you notice because things don't work. Uh, I had a friend who had a pretty popular website called CSS Tricks. Uh, it's still very popular. His name is Chris Coyer. Um, basically, even to this day, if you search for some CSS problem on the internet, CSS Tricks will come up number one or number two. Um, Wow. He had an audience at the time of people who would come to him to uh, learn stuff about uh, like how to solve this particular problem with their website or how to make this thing work. And um, we always wanted to build something together because we thought I thought that um, it would be fun to to work together to make something cool because I was never good at making things look good and he wasn't the best at the back end stuff. So I thought. Hey, if we have a good idea, maybe we can make it work. We we built something that never saw the light of day. It had the greatest logo though. Uh, it was kind of just the words "punch card" and kind of like a scantron type punch situation. It's hard to describe. It it looked it looked really cool. But uh-huh, basically, yeah. it, was, it was a time tracking application because we were both working uh, at jobs where uh, time tracking was a thing. We were getting billed. We were billing our customers hourly for things. And uh, getting billed out at one rate while the company was making profit. And it was a, a cool way to just get started on a project. And that we thought that might have some business value and people would want to use. It ended up not going anywhere because we weren't good at marketing it. And also, we didn't really know a lot of people <laughs> running businesses. Uh, we didn't have those connections. So it was hard to get uh, anybody who wasn't in our little circle to use it. So it would have replaced the stopwatch. You can't. We talked for nine minutes. That's going to be a fifteen-minute charge. It was just touch right. buttons, and it was uh, done and for also you. a deal spreadsheet, I guess. Um, letting letting you know like billable hours okay. per employee, and um, th- like breaking it down for the owner of the, the company. So we we shut that down, and then uh, we just kept hanging out online for a while. 
And eventually we, we decided that we had these websites and our customers would call us every now and then and say, Hey, my website's not working. Um, can you take a look at it? And we thought that it would be a good idea to know before the customer called us so we could be proactive and because uh, we, we lost some customers that way. We, the site would go down and the customer would be like, Oh, you're, you're just terrible at this. I don't know why I trusted you. And now I'm taking my money somewhere else. And sometimes it wasn't our fault. It was like a server yeah. glitch or just something out of our control. Um, we started working on this app called Are My Sites Up, which would basically just check your website every five minutes. Um, I think maybe back when we started, it was 15 <laughs> minutes. Let you know, uh, it would email you, send you a text message whenever the site went down so that you would know and you could do something about it before it turned into a big problem. And it turns out that that was a really... Hang on a second. Is that important? Because I'm looking at my like my personal website. I'm like, mm-hmm. man, it could be down for a few days, and I just don't know <laughs> if anybody would notice. But if I'm processing, oh, I don't know, a million dollars a month in product sales, that could be a big deal. Or if I have advertisers and I make two hundred thousand a month on a you know clickable ads on my website, then two hours offline or a day offline and not realizing it right. could be a serious issue. Um, that's what we didn't even really realize at the okay. time. Uh, we were building it to solve our little problem with, with the customers that we had. And over time we realized that it was a actually really valuable problem uh, depending on the, the customer. Um, Cause yeah, in a lot of cases you have a mm. database that if it goes down for a few hours, you lose a bunch of money. Um, so you don't want those things to, to be down. So it turned out that that was, really su- successful out of the gate <laughs> um, because Chris already had an audience. And later on, I realized that mm. because I launched some things after that and they didn't turn out that, that well. And I always wondered what the difference was. Why was our that's up um, doing well and other things weren't. And that's why uh, Chris already had people who, who he had helped to learn something uh, so he had provided value to them and they already trusted him because uh, they knew that he was knowledgeable about web related things. So whenever he said, Hey, are my sets up is a thing that I'm working on and I think it's pretty cool and it'll probably help you out. Uh, people were much more inclined to check it out and it, it's actually still around. Huh? You were learning the basics of uh, leveraging people who have an audience and affiliates without even realizing that exactly. that's what was actually and going on. Like I said, I, I launched things after that and uh-huh. I didn't realize that was the missing piece so that they weren't as successful. It, it actually took me uh, a while to learn that lesson, even though it, it looking back on it is pretty obvious. Why does Justin know this? Because I've studied and I've been reading right. people that do this. If I didn't know this stuff, I'd be like, I don't know, Richard, tell me what, what happened? Like, why did mm-hmm. these same people sign up? It's like, well, duh, the missing link was, right. was somebody else's audience. Yep. Like, you didn't build and one tr- yet. Trust is a, is a very valuable thing. Too. Yeah. Um, there's, there's some psychological things um, related to providing value to people for free. And then uh, in their brain, they, they kind of feel like they owe you. So they're much more likely to buy from you uh, in, in the future based on, on just that. That's why a lot of people offer free tutorials, free guides, and, and all those things. Yeah. <laughs> That's one reason. So I guess stunning that, which is my more recent, uh, more recently successful app, the one that's been successful enough that I was able to just work on that, um, full time is, uh, when I signed up for a payment platform called Stripe that just let me accept credit cards for are my sites up. 
I was really early on. How many years are we talking here? Uh, how many years ago did I sign up for Stripe? You mean? How many years were you working full time with for other people, but also doing a little side project before you finally got a paying gig with Are My Sites Up? And then now with this Stripe and Stunning uh, let's story. Let's see. I guess I got my first job around, it was in college because I was working at the LSU computer science department. So that's pretty easy to figure out. Um, and then are my sites up was founded in 2009. So that was nine years after that. I started making money on the internet. Um, hungry launched in 2006. So, um, it was, it wasn't really making anything. I don't really count that as a financial success. Um, and, and then, no. so from 2009, oh yeah. But you learned um, a lot. And I got better at programming and better at making web applications that um, actually stayed online, which was very helpful for all my sites up. Because if you run a website that people trust to let them know when their website is up, like, you need that website to be up all the time. So, so I, had to, I had to learn how to scale servers yeah. and make sure that, that if uh, think, some things fail, not everything failed. Are my sites up? We're always proud that if even if the website was down, sites were still being monitored because we had web servers all over the uh, the world, really, and we still do. Uh, it can shift the load to somewhere else if if things aren't uh, working quite right with the website. And there's companies that do that. They'll just sell you a you want a six country server backup, and you're like, yeah, I'll take six <laughs> countries across. The, yeah, you know, Amazon uh, has something called Amazon Web Services where you can have. Uh, different servers in different locations, and they they scale pretty easily. Um, I've actually never used that. I've I've always been the guy who builds the servers kind of by hand. Um, so I'm a little lower level than that, uh, not Ooh. literally by hand, I guess. But I'm I'm at the terminal writing the the code that actually sets the server up instead of trusting somebody else to um, just plug and play, basically. Just mostly because right. that's people like me might use Amazon S3 downloads, but someone like you actually can go in and create servers where you want them and just yeah, and go from it, there. it's just because that's my strength. Um, for a lot of people, it's it's easier to start on yeah. a, a web based platform and then move to uh, some sort of a web service that does all the scaling for you. Those are those are both very viable, yeah. and and some some days I wish that I was on AWS just because uh, scaling databases. Uh, and traffic gets to be kind of hairy once you, you get into a, uh, having a ton of traffic. Right. But like I was saying, um, having the knowledge that I've built over learning uh, how to scale servers and my size up is helping now. So uh, it's all it all kind of builds on itself. So what's this, what's this Stripe okay, so, business? So I signed up for Stripe back in 2012. And uh, so my sites have been around since 2009, and it already had customers. The only thing they were using to get money from customers or receive money from customers was PayPal at the time. And we were unhappy with how PayPal was handling some things. And in particular, they made it difficult to have subscriptions. So whenever Are My Sites Up started, we actually just had annual payment plans um, where you would pay $35 a year or $95 a year. Uh, depending on or sixty five dollars a year, depending on on what kind of how many websites you wanted, what kind of features you wanted, and all that sort of thing. So we, right, and we because it was easier to do things once a year than every month because PayPal subscription 
code was mm. really not good. And uh, when we tried it, sometimes it would fail in weird ways. And we didn't want to have time. Uh, we didn't want to have to spend time debugging that that sort of thing because we were. It wasn't even a full time job for us. <laughs> we were we were working um, right eight hours a day and then coming home and kind of doing this in the, the early hours of the morning. And uh, we just wanted to work on the actual app and not have to worry about all the code that went into billing. So when Stripe came around, it was kind of a, a breath of fresh air because previously, if you wanted to have a, a website that took money on the Internet, your options were basically use PayPal, um, which is a really easy thing to do. Um, but then you have scaling issues later on or issues with recurring billing. So billing people on a regular basis for some sort of subscription, or you could um, stitch together a few systems like authorize.net, mm-hmm. which is a gateway, a payment gateway. But then you'd have to also sign contracts and send faxes to a company that was the merchant account that sits, uh, that's the actual bank account that holds the money because the gateway only facilitates the transaction between the, the bank account and your website. So you actually have a, have to have a, another contract signed to actually have somebody hold the money for you until it goes into your bank account. And it was a, I remember it setting up one time and I was like, it's gotta be easier than this. Like I'm spending two days, uh, sending this thing here and calling this person. Why can't I just sign up for it? Like I sign up for anything else on the internet. Yeah. And why do I have to have three different applications yeah. managing all this and, and three different bills and all this stuff. So when Stripe came in, they were like, we will uh, package this all into one for you. Uh, you don't have to worry about signing up for a merchant account. You don't have to uh, get another bank account or anything. You sign up for Stripe. You fill out this form with all your business information, and then you can take payments, and we will handle all that other stuff for you. Also, if you're a developer, we you, we provide you this API, which is a, it's called, um, stands for Application Programming Interface, where you can just write code that does all the subscription related things that you want. And uh, in a few lines, you can actually be processing credit cards and uh, taking money on your website without having to do a lot of crazy staying on the phone, signing contracts, all this stuff. So I was like, that, that sounds amazing. Like what can I sign up? I I think they might've started in 2010 or 2011, but so I found out about them in 2012. And when I did, I was like, um, if we're going to offer monthly subscriptions on our my size up, this sounds like a great way to do it. So let me sign up for this. When I signed up for Stripe, though, since it was so early, uh, I found out that they didn't have a lot of features that I thought were uh, they would they should have. Um, like if when a customer gets charged, send them a receipt. They didn't have receipts. So they were really strong in some areas, but uh, weak in others. Um, that when a customer has a an issue with their credit card. Uh, send them an email. I thought that was the thing that you would have if you had a, a service that was charging people money um, every month. Eventually, the card's going to fail. And I, we already had that sort of thing written for Are My Sites Up. So after uh, signing up for, for mm-hmm. I was like, well, we need all this stuff on day one, and it doesn't exist. So I, I guess I'm going to have to write this code so that we can have this for Are My Sites Up because we need it. Otherwise, we're going to lose money. So I wrote the code for Are My Sites Up, and I got it working, and we were pretty pleased with it. And then I realized that um, since Stripe was just starting out, if I turned that code into its own product, a lot of people would have the potentially have the same problem that I did uh, because they'd be signing up for Stripe because they were excited about all the things that it offered, but then realized that 
it did offer a few things that they needed out of the gate. And so they could sign up for stunning, which would help them with that. Um, so basically I just took the code from that, that solved the problem that I had with are my sites up and I made it into its own app that's called stunning. And basically it hooks into Stripe and it sends out notifications to customers when payments fail, gives my customers an easy way to let their customers uh, update their billing information. So if you don't have a credit card form built, you can just use the ones that we provide and automatically link to in emails. Um, and we, we do a lot of other functions based on top of Stripe uh, throughout the customer lifecycle. So if a customer has a charge coming up and they're only paying you once a year, you want to remind them before they get charged so that you don't have chargebacks and uh, have to give refunds. So we, with Sunny, you can send upcoming charge emails um, however long you want before the charge occurs. Uh, you can have emails sent out to customers. It just gives them that 30-day, that you don't just look at your website, I mean your uh, right. credit card statement, you're like, who's this weird company? Oh, and, you, and it's like 200 bucks. Right. And, and like, what is this? Uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> and then you, you're like, oh, if I just got exactly. an email 15 days ago, it would have said your yeah. yearly billing. Uh, especially for, about for yearly hit. things, because in a lot of a lot of cases, the customers see a lot of things on their credit card bill, and everybody's kind of freaked out about fraud these days. So the first thing you're going to do is not contact the company. You're mm-hmm. going to contact your credit card company instead and be like, I don't know what this is. Do a chargeback or... Um, put a fraud alert on this or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's good to communicate yeah. with your customers over time about their billing situation and just things related to their subscription. And so stunning helps out with all of that. It started out as just sending receipts and what we call dunning emails for Stripe customers, which is basically whenever a payment fails, um, it communicates with customers and lets them get their account back in good standing by giving them an easy way to update their billing information. Now, Richard, this is the part that we've had this conversation before because I'm always curious, like, what your next project is back back <laughs> in the day. And even today, I always like, what's going on next? But when I think about this, I'm just like, dude, Amazon lets me know. Kohl's lets me know, hey, right. your credit card's out. This is out. Um, but these are – it's because these are mm-hmm. huge corporations and they do it all internal where you're talking about – a doctor's perspective is going to start selling books or coaching services. And I'm just one guy or the next guy who has his own um, workout video series and he can get recipes every month. And he's just one guy in a virtual assistant. So it's, it's for the people that don't have brick and you know, I guess it could still be brick and mortar stores. But you know what I'm saying? Like Kohl's and Sears and yeah. exporting goods. These probably already have it internally. And for those who don't have it, you were just kind of out of luck, like you'd assumed Stripe would have been sending these emails to let at least you know, hey, Bob and 25 other people failed and uh, you're still giving them a service that they didn't actually pay for and you didn't so even notice. So uh, since they were a developer focus when they started out, they were mostly dealing with uh, low-level things like instead of sending an email to the customer, they would send a, what's called a webhook, which is basically a computer sending a, a note to another computer saying, Hey, this thing happened. It's important. You should probably know about it. Uh, do something about it. So they expected that mostly developers would be signing up for Stripe. Mm. And um, then they would write the code to send their own emails. So they provided the, the functionality. Like Stripe would let you know when a payment failed or when a charge was, was successful. But they didn't allow the user. They didn't have the user-friendly stuff built in. Okay. Now they do. Now you can basically check off a box and say, send a receipt to my customers when uh, they get charged. 
and they let you um, customize it some in some way. But since they're really not focused on, since they're more focused on the developers and not really the customer facing features, with Sunny you can still do more. Like you can set up an entire custom HTML email that looks exactly how you want it and matches your brand. Whereas with the ones that are built into Stripe, you can just uh, like change the color and add your logo, which is good for a lot of people. So stunning just uh, adds more on top of that. Like whenever you've reached the limits of what Stripe offers and you want more, um, but you don't have to write the code yourself or you, you can't and you don't, you're a one person shop or a small company and you don't want to have to hire somebody for $5,000 to write the code. You can just pay stunning monthly and use it for as long as you need. And then, um, handle it in a, in a lot easier way uh, because stunning allows for better like anybody can sign up and use stunning instead of having to write code Where, so before like either you would get an email from stripe or if richard did a bunch of different websites for a bunch of different people you would get the information that this failed but i as the business person who you wrote made the website for w- i wouldn't know what's going on and you're like what am i supposed to do with all these emails like I got to go every day and send my 50 customers <laughs> right, that yeah. their customers' payments failed. Like, that sounds like a headache and a half. Or like, and so that's, am I accurate in thinking that would be very annoying for the developer? And so you're like, no, 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 it's stunning. You just pay a monthly fee. And now every, every customer has access to all this information. Plus, it's customizable. And you can send receipts. You can get heads up. These payments are going to fail. Let them know ahead of time. And you can get all this done set up. Yeah. And uh, done kind of automatically Stripe as well. Offer something called Stripe Connect, which means that anybody who wants to offer a business on top of Stripe can get their app set up in Stripe. And then whenever a customer signs up for Stunning, they can click one button. And then from then on, there's a link between Stripe and Stunning. So every time something important happens in their Stripe account, Stunning gets a notification and it can do whatever they want, whatever our customers want to do with that information. On the back end. So I don't have to deal with it. Um, yeah. Okay. Right. And all you see as a customer is, hey, here's the email templates. I set them up and I say when I want them to go out based on what Stripe sends. And then that that's all you have to do. And uh, we take care of all the, the, the code to keep up with Stripe's changes and um, all that stuff things that you don't see um, because in a lot of cases, people don't want to even know that you just want customer. You want, you just want to solve the problem. Like you don't want to have to deal with all the things behind it. Yeah. Cause that's still a lot of emails, even if I have to personally go in and send them. But if I just have to send up the parameters, which I'm sure you have tutorials of here's how you set up your parameters and what email to send if they match. And it just does yeah. it all for uh, you. Like you we, you don't really have payments. to set up parameters if you don't want. So, Basically, Stripe sends out a, a special uh, webhook if um, a charge is successful. They basically send a notification to Stunning saying, the charge is successful for this customer. Here's how much the charge was. Here's a bunch of associated information for it. And then in Stunning, if you have a receipt set up, it'll automatically send the, the receipt at that point. You don't have to say if something happens in Stripe that's particular. You just have to set up the particular or email type in style. Um, we do offer something called conditions where based on, say, if you want, you want to get one particular kind of email, if you want to get another kind of email, you can kind of name your customers in that way and say, customers on this plan get this template, and customers on this plan get this template. So it does allow you to get a little more advanced with that, but anybody can, it's, it's pretty easy. Okay. So, and a lot more, a lot easier than actually writing the code to do that. <laughs> So you're saying like if I had a website that I was selling something 
whether I was using, well, I guess, yeah, if I was using Stripe or like PayPal, somebody buys something, they might get a receipt from PayPal, but they wouldn't actually get a receipt from Justin it automatically. I would have to go back and look at PayPal. Oh, Bob bought it. I better send him a receipt. And then I would send him a customized receipt. And if you have a lot of sales per day, that's a whole lot of double double looking and, and sending a lot of emails where if you use Stripe and you use Stunning, that's just done for you. And you don't have to think about it. Otherwise, they wouldn't even get the fancy receipt from you personally. Definitely. I think PayPal does send out receipts that are standard, okay. but and you can make you can write code to make custom ones if you want. But yeah, by default, it's it's not something you can make look the way you want. Mm-hmm. You just get these generic looking. Hey, you've you paid this cust- this person, and uh, you get one saying, "Hey, you got money." So if you want to take control of your brand and make things look the way you want, you, you want something yeah. that lets you have more uh, customizable things. Just just kind of like signing up for something like Mailchimp, set up your own templates. Hey, question then: Shopify, WooCommerce. And then Stripe, are those, are does WooCommerce and Shopify use Stripe as their backbone? Uh, I'm not really sure what the company that, where you set up the actual store. They've always been the, the company, they want to be the company that the, the internet payment stuff is built on top of. So they provide the, the okay. tools to basically the bank stuff and the, the code that. They're the merchant yeah, service. They're, they're the merchant service, but with, with some cool stuff built on top of that. And it's kind of an all-in-one platform. Okay, okay. Because I've actually personally used Authorize.net mm-hmm. with a little credit card scanner on your phone. Yep. I don't. Do people still use that? <laughs> Other, okay, so yeah, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I was using, and I had to use another company to finish it. But before that, when I was in Colorado, you know, I had a terminal and just this mm-hmm. one company, and I just, you know, they took their percentage and everything, but it wasn't on online sales. So that's what we're talking about. Like, you could still use. You got to have a payment plan, a payment processing company and Stripe's that company. Even if you had a shopping network like on Shop, Shopify or WooCommerce, you'd still have to sign up for some kind of merchant service or PayPal yeah. or yeah. Stripe. Some, some that actually gets the... I'm sure there's other companies yeah. out there too. And, and generally, a lot of these places that offer these online stores, they either only use one company as the back end, in which case that would be something like Stripe or like Braintree or something like that, or they allow you to bring your own you, like you can sign up for your own Stripe account and just bring it over and connect the two, and then you have full access to all, the whole backend. Okay. So, like when I have books for sale on my website and you know coaching or whatever else I may end up going into, I could just set it. I could just sign up for Stripe and then have some code put into the website so that it processes the payment through my website without having to use any other platform because I'm not offering a whole bunch of services. Right. Yeah, you can definitely do that. Okay. Remember, my audience is, is we're doctors, we're entrepreneurs of some sort. Some people are having their little side hustle, like what I'm talking about. And I think this is going to give them a mm-hmm. nice overview of not just what Stunning would do, but also like this is how you can go and, and talk to your web developer or if you're doing it through WordPress, how you can actually get this thing to work. Because I'm pretty sure they have, uh, what do they call them, uh, plugins you know, for Stripe and all this kind of stuff to make it really easy and just use short codes to get yeah, all this definitely. stuff Yeah, definitely. Uh, there are a few, more than a few Stripe plugins that let you kind of automate a lot of the front-end things in terms of uh, getting collecting customer payments on your WordPress blog. You just connect it to your Stripe account in the same way that you'd connect, say, Shopify or whatever. Um, Stripe gives you key... Yeah, like Stripe gives you a key and you put that key in the right place in the plugin and then uh, they're talking to each other and you you can just set up what you want. Okay. All right. 
Yeah, because, you know, I use something called a pixel my site for the Facebook pixel and the Pinterest, you know, all those little pixels you're supposed to put everywhere. Yeah. And that's what they did. It was just put the code in. We do the rest. You can set up how you want it to fire in different thingies. And I was like, I will gladly pay you whatever it is, $99 a year, because I don't know how to do any of that. And when I do try, things break. You know? <laughs> yeah, web development. Like, I'm not the person for this. So <laughs> trying to find that one thing that somebody like me would say, I would rather pay you than deal with it. A lot of our life, really. Um, it's like a plumber. A plumber comes out when something explodes in your house and the pipe is leaking or bursts or whatever. And you're like, I don't want to de- figure out how to deal with this. I'll, I'll call somebody who's really good at this thing. Whoa. And I'll pay them. And I know that it'll be solved. Instead of fighting with it or, or putting it thinking that you fixed it, but still worrying that it'll explode in a couple of weeks because you didn't do it right. That sort of thing. So it's the same uh, kind of thing. Yeah. When did you decide that you really needed a virtual assistant? Oh, I, I think you're talking about my employee. Um, yeah, employee. Sorry. She, she, she runs customer support. And so she talks to people whenever they have issues or questions. They're, they're getting started with something and something doesn't quite make sense or uh, something's not working the, the way that they think it should, or something is broken. I guess a couple of years in, as my user base grew and grew, I found that I was answering a lot of questions over and over, which in some cases I could automate away and say, okay, a lot of customers are asking about this this thing here. Um, let me simplify it or make it work better or um, just fix this problem, and then people will stop asking about it. Mm-hmm. But even after I'd done that, and I, I cut down the amount of people asking me those things. There were still people asking real questions um, that you didn't have to be a programmer to answer. So uh, you just have to know how stunning works. Because a lot of times you come in and, and yeah. you don't want to read the documentation. You just want to get this thing done. And it's quicker to ask somebody who has done it already or who knows how it works really well or, or describe the problem to them. Yeah. And then um, just have them tell you how to do it. A lot of people like to work that way. So I hired her to start handling that sort of thing for me. Anything that's like something that's actually broken uh, gets pushed to me. But other than that, she does a great job of handling all the other things. Um, and she's she's more empathetic with customers, which is, <laughs> which is good because after a day of looking at code, um, if I get an email about something that I is really important to a customer, but uh, after I get like the ninth one email about that in a day, I'm just like, I, I don't really want to deal with this. She, she can have a better attitude because it's all she has to focus on, which works out really well for the business. Mm-hmm. Now, have you ever had any team meetings with her where, okay, here's your top 10 questions. Let's create an FAQ and do a walkthrough or some kind of tutorial videos. So maybe she can just point to these videos. Oh yeah, now? we've definitely done that. Um, we, we, we do it on a regular basis, um, figure out what people are asking about. And she, she's actually empowered to do those things herself too. She has direct access to okay. like our help scout account, which is where we have our FAQs. And so she'll write mm-hmm. things and run it by me to make sure that everything's accurate. But yeah, as we see that people are asking about the same thing and it's not, it's something that we can actually have answered in an FAQ, then, then we'll, act, we'll definitely, um, go ahead and write that down so they can look it up. But a lot of people don't want to read stuff. So, <laughs> Oh, you know, I, I, one of the, the, one of the plugins that I use, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a bashful in asking mm. certain questions. And sometimes it'll be like one, two, three, you know, just like, this is what I think. Why isn't this working? Uh-huh. And sometimes that's what they'll do. They'll just, they'll send me this one link and I'm like, 
that didn't answer my question, <laughs> you lazy right. bum. And so I have to contact them again and be like, I tried this. And then they'll be like, oh, you know, our site or whatever it is, it doesn't, it's not built for that. You're like, oh, okay. Well, now that I know, I'll either not do it or I will find something that will. And it was very helpful. Um, and I hope people understand we're not just plugging stunning like crazy right now. I hope people are seeing what's out there. And if they have these aspirations to do these side businesses, these are some of the questions that you're going to have to answer. And potentially we just answer them for you. When you have frequently asked questions, what can we do about that? Should we hire somebody else? So hopefully people are finding this uh, educational, you know? Oh yeah. Every business kind of has the same, same problems for sure. We all have customers and they have needs and we want to help them to be successful with whatever we're trying to offer them. Another thing that she does is she, since she isn't a super technical person, she can explain things on a level that sometimes I can't because I've, I know how it works too well. (laughs) So I can't. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll leave out things that are important to understand and, and, uh, she's better at, ex- at like explaining every step. And so definitely finding somebody, um, who is empathetic. She, that was the number one thing for me. She, she's definitely, um, much more empathetic than, than I am usually. And, uh, I, she didn't know a lot about stunning or development or stripe or anything when, when I first hired her. Um, I just knew that she would be good at talking to people and helping them out. And trying to, she she really honestly wants to help customers be the best or as successful as they can be, and so that's the number one thing that I would look for. Well, it can get confusing when you have things like contains blank, and then you know, I, I, I don't even remember all the little, but you know, sometimes these parameters you're like if and then contains or equals or sub equals. You're like, I yeah, what? I don't know what any of this means. Please, can I just have a human tell me this is what I want to do? How do I do it? What's five yeah. different variations? Thank you. I've backed mm-hmm. it up on Dropbox. I have it saved on three different hard drives. I will never lose this file again. Yeah, and now and, I and know sometimes they just want to know, um, hey, I've set this up. Can you kind of look it over and verify that I did everything right? So, yeah, a lot of people, and me included, just kind of want to know that there's a human on the other side who um, they can trust and who will help them out if they have problems. So a lot of times it's just assuring because yeah. on the internet like anybody can be anything on the internet really so a lot of times you, you want to know that this thing that you're paying money to or that you're trusting to especially in stunning's case it's like literally send things to your customers you want to know that they're kind people behind mm-hmm. it who actually stand behind their work well i was trying to put something as simple as customer's first name on an email yeah. heading and it didn't work <laughs> So it just has blank, blank, first, blank, blank. And I was like, you said this was the code. And I was like, was this only for the body Mm -hmm. of the email? Because that's a pertinent detail because now I look like an idiot. (laughs) Yeah. Because we've all got that email. You're like, oh, somebody don't know how to do Uh email correctly. I'm not buying your product (laughs) now, dummy. comma. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh, no, it was like, hey. Colon, colon, first, colon, colon. I'm like, or whatever it was. I was like, oh, this is the worst, the worst possible yeah. thing that could have um, happened. So in a lot of the cases, what we what we do is we try to write features that show the customer exactly what they should expect. So in Stunning's case, just kind of like uh, any email editor, you can type the stuff in and you can 
put your codes in and then we immediately show you on the right hand side of the mm. page what it looks like with real data. So if your customer, if you don't actually have any information or you, you're using the, the wrong variable for your customer's first name or whatever, it'll actually just show a blank in that preview and you can fix it then before anybody ever gets uh, a broken email. Ultra's Claire needs to change up his email <laughs> user. <laughs> so, sometimes uh, they still don't pay attention. All right. And they ask us, hey, this thing's blank here. I didn't expect it to be blank. And we're like, um, we, and then we have to show them exactly what the preview is used for and like how all that stuff works. But yeah, it, it definitely, when we did that, it definitely cut down on a lot of issues related to things like that. Because when you, people have a lot more trust in a system when they can see the results of the things that they're putting in before uh, the system actually starts doing its work. You're telling me I thought it was going to work. Stupid test email. <laughs> and uh, they'll get really upset if they think they set it up right and it doesn't work. And because they think it's your fault. And a lot of times it is because you didn't do that. Yeah. You didn't make it helpful enough. You didn't present the information in the right way. Well, and a lot of times it's like it's two hashtags. You put yep. a space between it. That that don't right. mean anything to me. <laughs> you, you just you didn't write the code correctly. And you're like, well, I didn't mean to put the space. You're like, well, you did. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why it broke. Like, that's why yeah, we have a computers test are, But yeah, that's yeah, how programming computer, works. It's simple stuff yeah, like that. Computers like, are very exact. Mm. Every, well, speaking of exact. What's up? Oh, sorry about that. Oh, I was going to say, uh, every now and then I have a day where I chase, uh, I'm, I'm working on a problem for a long time, and I realized that it was because of an apostrophe in the wrong place or something, which wasn't, the last time I did that, it wasn't in my code. It was in some code, some information that a customer put into the database. Just due to the nature of how the code worked, it saw that there were three apostrophes where they, it thought there should be two, and like everything broke. It was a mail. Oh, how long did that take to fix? Uh, since it, the error wasn't in my code, it took a few hours because I was like, I don't understand. Everything here is valid. What? It, so it was only happening for this one customer with this one thing that they typed in. So nobody else is having the problem, and that that made it a lot more difficult to track down. Oh, so it, it took a few hours. Wow. And then now it's fixed for everybody from now on. Yeah. Everybody else who has that sort of thing happen in, in, in their, uh, in, in their field within the database, it should be fixed for everyone. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears. You ready to switch gears a little bit? Oh yeah, sure. Ho ho ho. I like to talk about, <laughs> you give speeches, you've given some speeches with in Las Vegas and Philadelphia and you're not the most, um, I want the spotlight. Let's go out there on stage and um, I remember talking to your wife one day and she goes, you should have seen him. He w she doesn't talk like this either. But uh, <laughs> you should have seen him. He was up there giving his speech. Afterwards, people all around him like, can I get your autograph? Let me ask you these questions. It's Richard Felix, y'all. I mean, she's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, like, I just had to stand back and all at my husband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she does have a. I don't think anybody's asked for my autograph, but um, I do tend to, I guess, light up in situations where I feel like I have something to offer to the conversation. And a lot of times mm -hmm. I don't. Like, I feel like uh, some people just like to talk to hear themselves talk. And if I feel like I I don't have anything important to offer, then I'll just kind of shut up and listen. Because um, I, I think a lot of people are smarter than I am. But yeah, in... I've, I've given talks based... You can geek out with these people. Yeah. Like, it's it's people who have the same problems in their business as me, and maybe I'm a little further ahead of them uh, on on our business journey, or they're ahead of me. I'm like, how did you get, fix this thing? Like, how did you get past this problem? 
so yeah uh in those cases i'm a, I'm a completely different person but yeah um in general and i wrote this code <laughs> and complained it with this one and wham it worked and everybody's like what i never thought of that in my life <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that has- it was an apostrophe <laughs> We're not really debugging code so much, but it's more it's more like like business um, business issues. Like when you got to this sort of scale, how did you uh, break past this plateau? So it's it sounds like boring questions, but when you're like, okay, this person here has actually done it, and they're standing in front of me, like, how can I learn from them? Um, what what do you do? Um, that, yeah, that that's hundred customers to a hundred thousand customers. Yeah, and the headaches and the challenges that's going to obviously create. Mm-hmm. And sometimes okay. it does get technical. You're like, um, so I'm, I've been getting all this, this new traffic in, uh, cause just by the nature of say stunning, uh, Stripe is sending us a lot of information. And as we get customers with larger and larger customer bases of their own, we have more and more traffic coming into the server from Stripe. And I'm like, so when you got to this, all this technical stuff that I was doing was working at this stage, but, um, how do you scale it to this, to this stage? Because you could maybe only have 100 clients, but then you could get one client out of that 100 that has 250,000 clients, and all of a sudden you're like, uh-oh. Yeah, this code doesn't really work anymore <laughs> due to the, right. the constraints okay. of time. Like, uh, So you have to say uh, you can have this code that says, hey, when Stripe sends me this thing, uh, respond to it and do this thing in real time. And that works when you have a 1,000 people using it. But once you have... 100,000 people using it, you have to make what's called workers and have a bunch of different things that can actually perform the same task that all work simultaneously. So you get 10 times more traffic, but it's spread out uh, among 10 times more things that can handle the traffic. That's the oh, It's like one robot can only do 10 a second, right. but now you got 10 robots. Now you can do 100. Exactly. It's it, you, you end up hitting limitations of time and scale. So you have to start. Um, and every app is different. So you have to uh, scale based on the information that you're seeing uh, and what are the bottlenecks for your particular issue. Okay. Hey, have you ever made any video games where you could charge somebody 59 cents to give them a, a visor instead of a, a haircut? <laughs> or like a, you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. You can get an axe for 99 cents. Oh, yeah. Do you do that type of stuff? I've, I haven't done that type of stuff. I have made fun apps in the past, but never anything mm-hmm. game related. I've always liked to play video games but that's mm-hmm. it's always kind of escaped me the way that they make those particular things work um it's it's a different it's a different kind of programming i guess is, is the best way to put it richard you enjoy going to comic-con right oh yeah definitely why are you crushing on phoenix <laughs> what's going on there <laughs> oh man yeah I, I go to comic-con and i guess i'm known for and uh, always seeking out artists in the artist alley to him who are drawing the best rendition of phoenix um phoenix is a a comic book character who is super powerful and her hair is kind of on fire whenever she's in her super powerful mode i just think that it's cool to see different how different artists interpret the same source material um i think she looks cool because she she's like on fire and she's a a symbol of uh, a lot of power Um, i guess Mm -hmm. female power as well so i think that's cool but i i really do think it's cool just to see just uh, I have kind of a wall of phoenixes in my office, and I'm I'm looking at them now. And so there's one where she, she's standing, uh, she's flying, and there's like a a lit bird behind her, because uh, like the phoenix is a, a firebird basically. 
There's one mm-hmm. where um, she's surrounded by like a, an actual dragon that's on fire. There's like a really cool Japanese artist who did that one. Um, and there's one where she's standing over a barbecue pit and the phoenix is coming out of the, the flames in the barbecue pit and she has like a spatula in her hand. Like it's 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 crazy what people can do with the same source material. And I, I kind of like that. You know, if people haven't seen the the amount of detail that comic book artists can create and then you throw in like computer graphics on there with it, it could blow your mind. Like you mean, I, I've always felt like like with tattoos, I don't really want your cr- skull and crossbones with dragons coming out and eating something. I, I don't need that on my body for the rest of my life. But if it's a really quality looking tattoo, I can say, man, this guy is amazing. You know, if a girl, whatever, that's an amazing looking tattoo. Would never want it, but you did a really good job. You picked a good artist. Right. They know what they're doing. I mean, so, I, I draw a lot of things, and uh, I've, so I've always kind of had an appreciation for it. And definitely seeing how different people who are really good at their craft approach the same thing, that, that I really like that. All right. I just want to mess with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so you are when, part of the – yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, um, when I – the Phoenix thing wasn't really – I didn't, that's not really why I started going to Comic Con. I think the initial time we went was just because my, uh, it was the first Comic Con in New Orleans and a bunch of people from Buffy the Vampire Slayer were going to be there. And I knew that my wife was really into that and she would love meeting those people. And, uh, so we went for that. I kind of surprised her with that and, uh, uh, we, we really enjoyed it. And then I started noticing, like, as I was walking around looking at everybody's art that, Phoenix was a thing that everybody kind of liked to do in different ways. So that, that's kind of where that came from. Which, by the way, if you're into like anything else, Gambit or Wolverine, they have those people too. Oh, yeah. she She's definitely very much into Gambit. She's always looking for Gambit and Rogue together. Ooh, they, they love trying. Mm-hmm, There's always this, this uh, they're, they're always drawing Gambit and Rogue in love in different ways. And so she's, she's always looking for that. And Doctor Who a lot, I guess. Hey, Cher. <laughs> hey, Cher, give me a kiss. Mm-hmm. I'm Cajun. Because <laughs> Cajun sound like that. Yeah, that's uh, exactly how Cajun sound. You would know. Cole, talk about y'all <laughs> day. Well, Mr. Mr. Felix, sir, you are a rare commodity, perhaps. You're an African-American tech guy. And I'm curious, have you had any struggles with that area? Do you Have you ever faced racism or discrimination, getting jobs, getting hired, or um, you know any of those types of things? I don't really think I've experienced much overt struggles in that way, just because I've always, mm-hmm. I guess in the tech community, it's, it's easier to get by on your merits. If you're, uh-huh. if you're really good at something and people know that you can actually solve the problem and get the job done, like they need that. And so they will hire you. And so race becomes less of a, a thing sometimes I feel like, and, and mm-hmm. I haven't really had a lot of uh, full-time jobs. And most of the jobs that I've gotten have been due to referrals. So I like I've, I've, I feel like the one time I actually did apply for a job with a resume, it was, it was, that was still a referral. Um, cause one of our friends was working there and she was like, you have to meet this guy. He's really good at this stuff. And I, I guess the interview is kind of a formality. So yeah, I've never come in cold and been like, Hey, please hire me. Um, I've, I've done all this stuff uh, and seen other people succeed in place of me really. But I guess that's kind of because I, I started way back when, and I've been say in, in high school, uh, by the time I was in high school, when we transfer, I, 
we, I grew up in Lafayette, as you know, and I transferred to Baton Rouge right before my senior year of high school. And since I transferred late, they told me that computer, uh, all the computer science classes were taken and I'd have to start off in, uh, whatever computer literacy where they basically teach you to do, um, show you the parts of a computer and here's a floppy disk and here's how to turn your computer on and off. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's the days where like the power button was behind the computer and you had to turn the keyboard and the monitor off separately. That was, <laughs> that was fun. A lot of people didn't even know that. Oh. Um, but yeah, so I was in that class and I was like, I can't be here. And the teacher realized that I knew a lot, um, even from the, that first period in class. And at the end of that period, she took me down the hall to meet, um, the computer science teacher. And after talking to him, um, they tested me a couple of times and they realized that I actually needed to be in computer science to advanced placement. So I skipped computer science and computer literacy and computer science too. And got put in with the juniors yeah. and seniors because that's the level I was at. And I was the youngest person in that class. Um, and so by the time I got to, uh, my senior year, there were no more computer classes for me to take. So, <laughs> So I, uh, I ended up getting asked to teach a class in, in my senior year. I taught uh, like how to develop websites with Flash because Flash was really hot, uh, at that point. Yeah. So I've always, yes, it was. So I've always been so far ahead of people that I haven't, my, my skills have been at such a high level that it, it hasn't really come into uh, a competition. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I haven't really experienced a lot of it in like overtly. I'm sure I've gotten passed over um, for certain things, but it's it's not been in my face. Uh, it's it kind of. Would you say that? Say it kind of helps that I'm behind the computer and not meeting a lot of people face to face either. So I feel like I've, if I was mm-hmm. in an office, I, I like I've seen it in my dad's life and everything, um, where he he got passed over for promotions even though he was better than than other people at the job, and they knew it. Like he won awards and stuff, and other people would, who weren't black would get. Uh, promoted ahead of him mm-hmm. so i'm i'm kind of happy that i haven't dealt with that overtly because i don't know how i would deal with that situation if it actually happened to me in real life because you're one of six brothers and you're the oldest yeah yeah so would uh, you <laughs> definitely a lot of heat fell on me for being the oldest growing up <laughs> talk about uh, my brothers would do something crazy and i would get in trouble because i wasn't watching <laughs> how's that my job no <laughs> oh man i'm trying to study yep would you say that that if you're gonna go to a job interview and you're in your cold, like you're just like I graduated college, I want to go work for Google. Mm-hmm. I mean, Google's probably the best example because they're so diverse. But um, maybe they're in a smaller community and they don't. They're like, I'm not good enough to go to Google, but I could pretty much work in a regular, you know, job. Yeah. Do they? Should, you know, I'm saying they, but should anybody, especially if you're a minority, have maybe like a uh, a portfolio to bring with you or really in the resume show what you've done and really if focus on, on the projects that you've accomplished that way they can look past race a little bit quicker being that what they want are skills to begin with. Oh yeah, I definitely think so. Um, definitely coming in with projects that you worked on and seen through to completion because employers definitely want to know that you can, uh, when the going gets tough, you can actually stick with it and get the job done. Um, but and and it also shows that you have initiative. You're not going to sit around and be told what to uh, wait to be told what to do. Um, yeah, th- mm-hmm. those are things that definitely get you pushed to the top of the pile. Um, and projects definitely where you um, have shown that you're using the skills that you need in that job or that you 
written, even if they're not uh, products that you get sell to someone, if it's a project where you've shown uh, proficiency in whatever kind of programming languages they're using, um, that's, that's always good too. Oh, very good. In, in terms of programming, there's a, a website called GitHub, and a lot of people use it um, to put their source code on. It's, it's called, Git is something called version control. Basically, whenever you are writing code and you make some changes, you can see the differences between the code that you just wrote and the code that was already there. Uh, so it's easy to mm-hmm. roll back small changes or see exactly um, when you change something that made things go wrong. Uh, but with GitHub, you can actually push that code uh, publicly and uh, share with other people, and people can build code based on code that you've already written. And in a lot of cases, people use their GitHub profile as their resume. You can say, oh, I've written all this code. Um, it does this. I've oh. these people on these things. You can see the history of the projects. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a really good thing to have. Okay, so somebody in this field would understand what you're saying and be impressed. Yes. Okay. Check. <laughs> I, I tried to simplify it, but I'm not sure if I did a good job. <laughs> no, you got it. You, you got it, man. Just making sure, you know, there's, there's certain things you don't know about unless you're into the field, then you're impressed with it. And you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know you could, you know, do all these things. Yep. When we're talking about marriage, you've been married for a while now, right? Yep. Uh, almost 10 years. Almost 10 years. What type of advice could you give somebody so that they can have a happy marriage? you're always wrong. <laughs> your wife's, your wife is going to be right. <laughs> Even if you think you're right, just let her be right. Your life will be easy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, uh, definitely spend time together. I, I do work a lot. Uh, I work from home, but my, my wife doesn't have a full-time job anymore either. Cause she doesn't, she was having a hard time at the job that she had. And I, I told her we didn't, she didn't really need that stress in her life. Um, cause we didn't really need the money. And so she could quit and find something else whenever she needed to. So mm-hmm. we, we've been spending a lot more time together in that way. Cause I can just walk out of my office and go hang out. But what we do is we travel a lot. Last year, I think we traveled more than I've ever traveled in my life. And we spent like a month in California, basically, um, all over the place. It's a, I think we started in Vegas and then we went to San Francisco and uh, I, I guess not all California because we went to Reno as well. And then we went to Fremont to visit the Tesla factory. We went to um, San Jose, Cupertino to, to visit some tech landmarks like we went to Apple and uh, Google and um, things like that. She has, she has some family in San Jose. Mm. We went to Philly, Boston. I don't know. It it was it was crazy, and we got back in November. Uh, I think it's yeah, it's still November. So we got back at the end of October, and I was like, yeah, it's great. Now we just have the holidays, and she's like, she wants to go traveling some more. So <laughs> I think that's when that's when we went to Philly because normally we go to Philly every year because um, I have a conference that I like to go to in May, and it didn't happen this year. And she was like, I, the leaves are changing, and I bet it looks really cool. We should go. Um, so we went, and we really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So it's good to spend time. And you're both foodies. Yeah, we definitely like to discover new food. She's, I'm really big on uh, chicken and waffles and hamburgers. I mean, I like fancy stuff as well, but if, if you give me a good chicken and waffles, I, I, it's one of my favorite restaurants. And uh, just tea houses. Uh, when we were in San Francisco with my brother, we, um, we visited a place called Samovar Tea House, and we didn't realize tea could be that good. 
if if it's brewed right, like you think you're you're doing it right at home, or you're just making a lot of black tea and you don't really know um, all the different varieties and everything. Uh, and somebody, mm-hmm. I, I've been trying chai tea a few times before because I heard people say that it was really good, and I it never tasted good to me. But the one that I had there that was made properly tasted really good, and so we have kind of been on a tea house kick ever since. Um, we were in Houston recently and we, we found one there it's a really small place where it's kind of a, a whole Zen thing happening. Um, you can, mm-hmm. they had a setup where you can actually, they have all the teas that are numbered and you can actually, um, like go and open each individual canister and like smell the tea before you even order it. So you have a really good idea of what you're getting. Uh-huh. They, you can, there's like a ritual where you go and it's, it's not really a ritual, but I kind of felt like it where there, there are, um, teapots and tea mugs all over the place and you can go and pick the one that speaks to you at that moment. Kind of. Okay. It's, it's, it's kind of cool with the, the, the rituals that are around tea. Um, yeah. she's really big into that and she, she likes teas of all sorts. Have y'all been to Boulder yet to the, uh, Boulder tea house? No, we've definitely not been to Colorado. I think we're going to try to get to Colorado this year because my brother and his wife live there. Um, and we they live in the Denver area, so we're going to try to get out there. Well, make sure you go visit that place because it is imported. All the decorations in the place are imported from either Nepal or India or something like that. And wow. the teas are just phenomenal. The building itself, you look at it and you're just transported into another country. It's unreal. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely going to have to check that out then. How, how yeah. close is it to Denver? I mean, 20 minutes if it's not snowing outside. Oh, <laughs> that's nothing. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's tw- yeah. I mean, I lived two exits from Boulder, so it's really close. Uh, that's crazy. 30 minutes tops. Oh, and they also have celestial seasonings. Like the entire company is based out of Boulder. So that's a cool tour I as well. I did not know that. Yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, man. She would love that. Yeah. You can go. Gotta check that out. Matt, see what mass produced looks like versus. Uh, fancy like you said like fancy teas and in a great atmosphere um loose loose leaf <laughs> yeah loose leaf they Artisanal. actually have this mint room it's <laughs> completely separated and they're like look if you get migraines go ahead and stay outside because you're gonna get one with this mint room it was unbelievable oh man oh yeah all right so last couple questions thank you so much for your time favorite books podcasts apps it could be something that you secretly love and some that you just think everybody should definitely uh take part in okay uh let's see in, in terms of apps i think my favorite app um that i've ever used is an app called paprika it's a it's a cooking app um it's i think it's on iphones it's on macs it's on at least android devices um and it kind of synchronizes in between all of them so i can uh, look at a recipe on the internet and I can say save recipe and it actually has code that goes in and grabs the picture from the recipe. It finds out where the ingredients are and it adds it to the right place in the database. Um, it pulls out the, the, the directions and everything. And like with one click, it's like in your library. That's the feat of coding they did to, to handle, make it do that on so many web pages on the internet. It's just crazy to me. <laughs> I have a library of recipes and they show up on my iPad in the kitchen because we have a, an iPad that we use when we're actually cooking from recipes. Um, it's on my phone and it, it synchronizes in between so that I, uh, when I add something from my computer, I can then go to the store and add stuff to my grocery list, which is also in the app and like go down the list and get the right ingredients in the right amounts because uh, it comes straight from the recipe. Whoa. I, I really love it because I, I love to cook. That's a pretty impressive uh, um, software they got there. 
yeah, I, the, just the first time I, I was on a website and I clicked save recipe and it did it. And I was, I was just like that, just knowing what it, as a programmer, just knowing what it takes to parse <laughs> everything out of a website. And cause not every website is the same. Like every website does things differently. So you have to have write code that can work in so many different situations on so many different pages. Oh. And it's like magic. And one button click. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh. In terms of books, I, I guess I, most of the books on my bookshelf these days are cookbooks, but I do like to read a lot of sci-fi. A guilty pleasure, I guess, which isn't really sci-fi, is I, I really like the Hunger Games trilogy. Mm. That uh, it wasn't. That I didn't think the movies were as good as the books. I guess that's a lot of uh, what you hear a lot of people say early. But, right. But yeah, the books are definitely worth reading. There, there's a a movie coming out soon. I think next year. And the name of the book is Escape Me. It's about uh. A world where everything is kind of in VR. Oh. Oh, yeah, I got it. Ready Player One. Just popped into my brain. Um, that's that's a really good sci-fi book. Um, I've Weird, been you trying to, your mouse. to watch any trailers for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes it just takes looking around the room. I, I swear I didn't do it. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't look it up on the internet. <laughs> you get your brain working in. Yeah, Ready Player One is is a really good like post apocalyptic world where everybody lives in VR. Uh, it's difficult to describe, but it was a really it was, it was a really good uh, world that they the author managed to build in that book because it was kind of two worlds. It was like the VR world where everybody hung out and lived and uh, competed in this crazy game, and then the the post apocalyptic world where everything was kind of destroyed. I, which is why I guess everybody was in VR. Was this like uh, the Matrix? Yeah, hopefully the kind of but you remember like they um, were in like little pods but then they had the whole world that they lived in but like better yeah yeah i mean this this wasn't like i guess in the matrix like the world was actually destroyed and i don't think you could even walk around without dying uh, it's not that bad okay um but yeah it, people are like living in shacks and whatnot oh wow but somehow their computers still work and everybody's on the internet <laughs> priorities man <laughs> priorities <laughs> we don't have corn i mean the, <laughs> but we got vr that's it <laughs> uh, in terms of podcasts i guess i i learn a lot from uh, people who who interview people who uh, have a lot of experience in particular areas so I, I mean everybody likes the, the tim ferris podcast it's, it's super popular where he uh, brings on world-class performers of different types and um, like gets to the bottom of what makes them so special, mm-hmm. which in a lot of cases gets you a lot of information that you would have to take years to learn. Um, really like that. And um, there's a, I don't know if you remember, there was a podcast um, back in the day called Dig, uh, Dignation. Dignation. Okay. There was a website called dig.com. Oh, where yeah. Basically, uh, people would, yeah, people would post news and you could vote it up or down or whatever. Um, and the two guys would have a weekly show every week um, where they would get on video and drink some beer and talk about the top news on that website. Oh, boy. It was always pretty funny. One of the guys is now doing a new podcast called Half Hour Happy Hour, where for uh, about 30 minutes, uh, he and some of his friends sit around and drink stuff and talk about uh, news and read emails from uh, fans of the show and whatnot. It's it's fun because they they're always drinking, so uh, drunk people trying to do a podcast is always kind of funny to me. It's a it's a it's a good podcast for when you're uh, you're trying 
a lot of podcasts I, I listen to to learn things, and this is a good podcast that I listen to for when I'm just like doing the dishes or whatever. It's 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 fun to learn about random cool stories that are happening around the world um, told by drunk people. Have you noticed when you listen to podcasts, like like you like to learn something? So some people though they're like, oh, I just had the podcast on while I'm doing other things. And I'm like, yeah, some of the stuff I'm doing, I really only can be exercising while I listen to this, but I can't I can't be mm-hmm. doing anything productive because I'm not trying to tune out what I'm podcast listening to. This isn't the latest NBA injuries, you know. So I have like a set of podcasts where I, I specifically label errands because I can listen to them whenever I'm like driving around the car. If I miss something, it's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but for other ones, definitely, I, I want to be somewhere where if I hear something interesting, I can pause it and go write down notes or something like that. Yeah. Because what's the point if you're not actually learning something? It's just going through your brain. Yeah, I could just do Audible or something um, like that. Yeah, right. Um, also, there's there's one other podcast that I've been listening to recently called Dissect. I found out about it recently. Basically, um, they each season they take an album. Uh, so far, it's been Kendrick Lamar uh, and Kanye West, uh, two of their albums, and they go through each song and they they explain like what's actually uh, the meaning, the message behind the songs, and some, sometimes the stories behind the songs. Because a lot of times, uh, rap is so hard to understand. Uh, you, like you, it's easy to pick up the jokes and um, a lot of the wordplay. But in a lot of times they're, they're actually talking about something deeper, uh, something that has a deeper meaning. And it's, it's nice to have that kind of explained. Um, it, it, it definitely is cool to actually break down the songs and hear the meanings. Hmm. That's really is. That really is a true statement right there. Like they're making like 30, 40 minute episodes on one song. It's crazy. But this is all speculation (laughs) too, though, right? In some cases, in a lot of cases it's, it's based on so far it's been based on, uh, history. So, okay. for instance, one of Kendrick Lamar's first songs, he he's he's making references to things that have happened in his childhood that you can actually look up. Oh. Um, and uh, or he his first album was named Mad City, and there's references to that, like when he was rapping when he was 16, and when he actually came up with it, and things like that. It's it's history that you wouldn't know unless you were actually paying attention. That's actually pretty cool, because I think. I, mean, I don't want to sit around and watch a lot of behind-the-scene movies. Like, I don't really care, like, the actor's feelings on the portrayal of the character they did. But to know mm-hmm. where people create a song and, oh, was it really – were you really eating uh, peanut butter and honey sandwiches as a kid? You know? and <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, were you really – like, Drake has some song and they're like, there's a lot of Jamaican vibe to it. And you're like, isn't he a, a black Jew from Canada? And they're like, mm, he is, right. but yeah. where he used to hang out was where a bunch of Jamaicans migrated to in his city, and he spent time mm-hmm. there, and that's why they have those right. vibes in it. And you're like, oh, well, isn't that another layer to the popularity of this guy? Yeah, and in some cases, it's it's just describing what was happening in those uh, the, the artists' lives at the time, because mm-hmm. that informs some of the things, too. Uh, or just how they grew up, or where they were, or what had happened to them around the time of of so, some of the some of Kendrick Lamar's stuff is biographical. I want to say his first album was completely biographical, talking about actual struggles in the street and, and seeing people get shot and not being able to look at some people the same. He actually had to bleep some people's um, names out of his songs because he was literally talking about 
real people. Uh oh. Which I didn't realize at all. Shady Tim was the was the real deal. Yeah. Whoa. Crazy. That is crazy. Mm. That one's called dissect. Dissect. Okay. Well, cool. Anything else? How would you like to people to contact you for more information or uh, see what's going on with with Richard? Um. Well, if you're on Twitter, I'm R Felix on Twitter. R F E L I X, like the cat. Um. You can definitely keep up with me there or. Anybody has business questions, I, I like to keep kind of an open door policy because there were a lot of people who helped me with what I thought were stupid programming or business questions um, as I was coming up. And uh, I like to pay it forward and help other people who are trying to do the same thing. So you can always email me at Richard at shifted And um, I will reply to you for sure. Very good. Richard, I really appreciate your time today uh, sharing this, the journey and I, like we said before, I think a lot of people, they have questions. They don't know how to ask. They don't know where to start. And I think you've given them a lot of resources and a lot of brainstorming through, through your journey to, uh, to know that they can do it as well and a lot of, a lot of actionable steps. So I, I appreciate your time. Awesome. I'm glad we were able to make this happen and that I could help. No problem, man. Well, 2018, best year ever, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Let's do it. Mr. Felix had a good time. Thank you for being on the show. Like I already said, I hope everybody was able to follow along and grasp what he was trying to say and that you could see that everything we do, we can learn from our mistakes, things that didn't quite work out. And of course, they finally can build into something that is hugely successful and change the way you live, change your life. So stay motivated, be motivated. Let's make 2018 our best year yet. Travel tips coming up next. Show notes at doctorsperspective.net slash four nine. I've got some new things to talk about. Of course, you can always review us. Give us that five-star review on wherever you listen. But I got four new t-shirts. You know, there's chiropractors, some of them that just like to adjust. There's some like me who do rehab and, you know, decompression and cold laser, things like that. And we call us straights versus mixers. So I created some mixed tour shirts. Uh, They're supposed to be kind of tongue-in-cheek. Hope you like them. Also, the Atlas, I removed the dins. So therefore, check that out. Maybe you'll like that better. Today's Choices Tomorrow's Health Book version 2.0 is now out. We got nerve stretches, optimal calorie counter calculators, a section on fasting, and a big old section on how to budget and try to get your financial life in order. All the things that I talk about all the time. It's over 100 extra pages, so get it now. Bonus, my new hot off the presses book, Needleless Acupuncture, self-treatment guide for 40 common conditions, is finally finished. It's been a in the works for quite a while. Stop the hurting with no needles or meds. Your roadmap to self-treat your conditions painlessly with needless acupuncture. It's got pictures. It has descriptions. It has, of course, the conditions. And I plan to have video tutorials soon. Just go to the website and check it out. Also on the website, look on the top right. All the social media icons are right there. Whichever you like to follow me on, click that button and say hello. Travel tip this week is something I've never used, but it's called Tingo. Apparently, it'll automatically rebook your room, your hotel room, at a lower rate if the price drops, and then it actually refunds your credit card the difference. That's kind of cool. Tingo, T-I-N-G-O.com. Have a great Christmas and New Year. We just went hashtag behind the curtain, and this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on a doctorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. 
You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective. <laughs>